Hello. Can people hear me? Can you hear me, Mike? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Hello. Success. 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 Hi, Ben. Hey, Mike. How you doing? Have you had a chance to breathe? I hope so. I think so. I'm still alive, so I believe the breathing is commenced. Uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to the limited upside trade deadline reaction chat. Prada, <laughs> that Epstein's over here. It seems like people are starting to come in. Ben, we said that the trade deadline the other day was not going to be super active. That didn't happen. The NBA always finds a way to have things happen. What do you think? What, what do you want to talk about? Like there are a lot of interesting things that happened. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's, well, let the, let's let the listeners decide. What do we want to talk about? I, look, I, I would love to, to do this uh, uh, from a listener's uh, standpoint for whatever people want to get into. I will say we should probably start where we were correct in our last, yeah. <laughs> our last locker room. Yeah. We, that's we right. wanted, uh, we wanted Aaron Gordon to end up in Denver. We thought that'd be the most fun fit. And that was one of the first trades to go down today. So that was pretty cool. Yes. Let's start with the one that we were right about because that's, <laughs> that's the height of vanity. Uh, Eric Gordon going to Denver. Uh, it seemed pretty obvious. I mean, I, the magic in general blew it up, mm-hmm. but we, we, at the time when we were court, we did this chat on Tuesday. Unfortunately, there were some backend issues that prevented us from actually recording the thing. When we talked on, on Tuesday, there was a lot of Aaron Gordon to the Celtics noise. And Ben, you said that you didn't like that fit. And we agreed that the best fit for Aaron Gordon were the Denver Nuggets. Is that correct? That's correct. That's where we landed. And so then we find out the night before our friend Jake Fisher, my my triumph writing buddy uh, for Bleacher Report, reporting that the Denver Nuggets had taken the lead. And then the trade happens. Aaron Gordon going to Denver. Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, and a future first-round pick that I believe is and twenty twenty-five and is top five protected, going to Orlando. And you're you're not sure like how good Aaron Gordon is, but like this that's a pretty good price to get Aaron Gordon. Yeah, it? look, I'm I'm ready to find out how good he is. You're not going to find a better situation, uh, probably for his skill set to complement the existing team he's going into. He's he's leaving a a, a very difficult situation to to probably reach your peak, uh, I would imagine, um, especially, you know, look, the, we talked about this last time, but there's a big difference between the way that Vucevic and the way that Jokic play. Um, and one is going to probably augment what we know about Aaron Gordon's game significantly in Jokic's case. And on top of that, I mean, think about think about like what uh, what Jeremy Grant did last year. Mm-hmm. Um, as the athletic kind of supplemental piece on that team. I mean, Gordon's a better player than, I think Gordon's a better player than Grant. Um, that's up for, you know, that's up for a conversation maybe, but yeah. um, I think you're going to find out that he's a better defensive player than people think. He's a better passer than people think. And he doesn't have to be the guy. Like there's not that he was the guy in Orlando, but that no one was the guy in Orlando there. They were a team that was sinking with, you know, I'd argue Vucevic was the main piece, but he also moved. We'll talk about him. Yeah, I think it's a good, it's a great opportunity for Aaron Gordon to prove a lot of people wrong. Uh, if that's something he's into and ultimately be a part of a championship contender, you know, going so from they, the, the middle of the NBA to the, to a championship. contender. So you're ready to call Denver a championship contender. I think they are. Yeah. Yeah. I think they were probably in the hunt you know, you could convince me they were a contender before this trade. So, yeah, I do. 
You think so? Yeah, I mean, this, this, all, okay. this all depends. This all depends on if you think that the West is the Lakers and everyone else, or if the Lakers are actually going to be scrapping with the, you know the likes of the Jazz and Clippers and uh, and Nuggets, and 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 you could maybe even we'll talk about Portland too. I'm sure because they made a deal. Phoenix, of course, as well, although they didn't do yeah. anything. Yeah, not not part of our trade talk negotiation our conversation here, but absolutely, Phoenix has been one of the probably three best teams in the NBA for. Uh, the last 30 games. And so, yeah, I, I do. I, would you say they're a contender, Mike? I think they made themselves a contender with this mm-hmm. trade. I do. I, I don't know if they were before because I think they were, uh, their defense wasn't good enough. I don't think uh, their rotation was kind of still a little all over the place, but now I think they are a contender again. You made the Jeremy Grant comparison. I'm not sure Jeremy Grant totally fit in until the bubble when he like fit in super well with what Denver was doing to the point where you're like, how the heck can they possibly lose him? You know, it seems like he's a perfect fit for kind of this oversized three and a half role where he can do a little bit of stuff with the ball, but he scores a lot on cuts. He guards top defenders, top offensive players. That's now Aaron Gordon sliding into that role. I, Who's better between Aaron Gordon and Jeremy Grant? I mean, Jeremy Grant's having a great season in Detroit, so I, I don't know if we can say Aaron Gordon is better than him. Yeah, he's yeah. improved at this point uh, so much more. But I love the fit here because Denver's got this sort of unique setup where Aaron Gordon is kind of like – we talked about this on Tuesday, but Aaron Gordon's kind of maybe not quite as good as he thinks he is as a scorer, but – He's so we kind of are when we're talking about, oh man, we really want to see the real Aaron Gordon. What we're really saying is we want Aaron Gordon to kind of play more like a role player. And I think what's yep, been proven is that they, he doesn't really want to do that. Like for better or for worse, you kind of have to let Aaron Gordon indulge a little bit in his belief that he is a t- good enough one on one heliocentric style wing scorer. Denver's kind of got the perfect infrastructure where you can kind of channel him into the things he's really good at. He's going to get a ton of poops on cuts to the basket. You know, he's going to be bigger than the guy that he's going against because Denver has kind of now this like supersized wing group where you can play him and Michael Porter and together. And that will be really interesting. And and he's going to defend but he also like there's enough of a platform because of the way Jokic can be moved around in that system where he gets some, some time to like kind of indulge a little bit on offense. And he, and so you kind of get the best of all worlds with this, with this setup for him. And then it didn't really cost him all that much. I think Gary Harris is not the player he used to be anymore. So I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I guess I'm not surprised that nobody beat that offer, but I think Denver did incredibly well here. Yeah, no, I, I would tend to agree. And I think a theme of the day is a, a lot of the deals don't make a whole lot of like if you spent the last two months or month or whatever in uh, like the trade, whatever the trade, whatever the, the, the thing is called um, the machine, you, the trade machine. Yes, you would probably be wrong on ev- on everything. And most people, yeah, are, so. unless you're Michael I mean, Pina. Did you see Michael <laughs> Pina? He basically called like the Vucevic trade and the Gordon trade and uh, the Lou Williams, Rajon Rondo trade. Yeah, Pina's having a good week uh, or good day, I should say. And everyone deserves to, if, if you, you know, go check out Pina's stuff on SI. Uh, Mike does a good job of, of uh, thinking forward about the league. I just mean like the types of assets that move for each other you could argue the old depot trade was weird you could argue the powell 
uh, Trent Jr. trade was weird. This one doesn't feel like a whole lot went in return. I mean, Orlando signaled to the NBA today that they were going to a complete rebuild. We did talk about this last time as well, that they might do this in in the name of building around two young guys who are out for the season and Isaac and and Markel, which, you know, that's a whole nother conversation probably. But I, I think that this trade in particular, you're looking at a team that's close enough to go for it, finding the right trade partner for the right asset who who wanted to move. Um, yeah. I, I think there was some note Denver, someone from Denver's press world had mentioned that like after they played the other night, that that was uh, that that meant, you know mattered, that factored into the decision. Yeah, they got they got trucked by Toronto uh, the other night, or Tampa Bay, Toronto, Tampa. and we're I'm sure we're going to talk about Toronto. But yeah, no, I agree, and I I think it's a good fit because. You also they improved defensively for sure. They needed a player like Gordon. I do think Gordon, when he's locked in, can be a great defender. I just don't think mm-hmm. it happens as much as you would like. Uh, you can play him curling off dribble handoffs. You can play him as like kind of a roller while you sort of stretch Jokic out. You can play him in the dunker spot area, so he's kind of coming in where Paul Millsap plays. There's a lot of versatility there, mm-hmm. uh, but you can also. He can also he'll also get rewarded for when he does move without the ball, um, and I think his game fits it. It also channels Michael Porter, I think, into a more. He's played a lot better recently, but now he can kind of just focus on getting a lot of threes up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I just like I think it's Orlando. I think clearly was not part of their long term future. They had to get something for him. Archer Hampton might be really good. Uh, Denver's maybe a little light in the backcourt, although I think Monty Morris will come back and fix some of those woes. But, you know, they're a lot better now. Uh, Noah, says, as a Clippers fan, says that the Gordon to Denver is a trade that he was dreading. Um, Mike <laughs> Mike uh, asks, any thoughts on the Sixers? Mike, do you want to um, speak that or do you want to just sort of – oh, you're talking about the Rondo trade, Noah. Okay, we'll talk about that later. Uh, yeah, the Sixers um, not doing a whole lot getting George Hill, not getting Kyle Lowry. Um, Mike, if you want to come on and talk and chat, you know, feel free. But if not, Ben, yeah. you're a Sixers fan. What do you think? Are you <laughs> disappointed? No, no I'm, not, I'm not disappointed, I guess. It, it, I mean, look, it appears that the the asking price never wavered. I, I think, you know, when I heard the rumor of uh, the Lakers rumors, right, that, that Contavious Caldwell Pope um, – uh, Schrader, Schroeder, Schroeder, um, and that uh, Tucker Horton was kind of the, and one other piece involved in that as well, with Tucker Horton being sort of the piece that they didn't want to include. I, you know, I, what, what does that do to me? It, it signifies that every team was being held to the same kind of standard by the Raptors. They wanted a lot. Um, I, I think maybe these teams like the Lakers, Heat, and Sixers saw this as an opportunity to potentially get better, but not an opportunity to necessarily sink uh, a ton of assets, both short-term and long-term. And, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the Raptors are going to lose Lowry now this off season. I don't know about that. I wouldn't be too sure. Okay. okay. Or the Raptors are going to give Lowry 20 to $25 million a year for his 36th and 37th year alive on this earth. And that's, I don't know if that's a win either, but I guess the point is, I was I disappointed. Six, yeah. Like as a Sixers fan, did you fan? want them to do, did you, so now they, they finished second in the James Harden sweepstakes, mm-hmm. obviously now they don't get Lowry. They have a really good team. You know, the tie, the East is somewhat open depending on how much you think Brooklyn mm-hmm. can play in the playoffs. Are you were you hoping that they would kind of make a bigger strike? 
No, I wasn't. I mean, I look, I wanted Lowry when this whole when the whole conversation when the rumor started around Kyle Lowry being a part of this, you know, the potential nucleus of the Sixers championship team that sparks a lot of nostalgia in the city for a number of other reasons that don't necessarily have to do with the X's and O's on the court. Would he have been a good fit? I think so. Have we seen what a ball dominant kind of other guard looks like next to Simmons? Unfortunately we have with, with Jimmy Butler and it wasn't, it wasn't the best usage of Ben Simmons, but look, you know, we're talking about a kid from North Philadelphia who played at Villanova, who wears his Eagles hats with pride. And I think there was a lot of intangibles that made the fan base more inclined to want Lowry than maybe the financial situation and actual player situation, uh, given the fit would have, you know, would have asked for, but that's, that's the thing we are. I think as Sixers fans, we wanted some kind of upgrade at, at guard, whether that was to improve the second unit so that Shea can run more off ball. Uh, or if that was someone who you can plug and play with the starters, who's going to be able to catch and shoot and be a confident three point shooter and decision maker. And they got that, you know, George Hill's a, a fine player. He's going to be a upgrade uh, for the second unit. He's going to allow for shake to play off ball. He's going to be able to play alongside Ben Simmons and confidently not take away, you know, Ben's ability to be the, the kind of creator, if you will. But, but yeah, like, look, as, as a fan, you always want to see big swings and, and going for it. And I think that's one of the aspects of bringing in a guy like Daryl Morey that people kind of assumed would be part of that, that relationship that Morey takes these huge, you know, these huge right. swings at trade deadlines and, and that yeah. he's known for shaking things up. And look, he did look he, in, in 45 minutes this summer, he made the Sixers a better team that is capable of being the top seed in the East. And and I think people still need to have that faith in him. They're going to be active in the buyout. They have an active roster position open now, or roster placement open. Okay. So, so you're, not too, you're not too upset. You, you, you don't no. think that – I mean, Kyle Lowry would have been a great fit because he is not Super Bowl dominant. Well, he, could, he would play – I'm assuming he would play sort of – the point guard role, if you will, in all half court situations, Ben doesn't really do that anyhow. So yeah, he he would have been, yeah. I mean, yeah, the Sixers kind of already work in a situation where Ben's the playmaker, uh, but Tobias Harris gets a lot of the primary, you know, looks up top with the ball. Um, I'm not sure exactly how it would have looked to be honest. I know that, I know that if doc had and Morey had come to an agreement that the only way that they were going to be a title contender this year was to make a trade that they would have, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not. Wow. So you're, you're saying trust the process, yeah. trust the process that yeah. they have come up I, I, with. <laughs> yeah. I, I, think I don't know. I, there. Yeah. Do I think, think he would have fit in great. I, he probably would have played what most of taken some of Seth Curry's minutes, probably most of Danny Green's minutes. You got to assume Danny Green would have been gone if they had made a trade involving Kyle. Which I think was was probably. I mean, the probably the better way of put. We don't know what the price was, obviously, yet. But mm-hmm. I mean, would you have traded? Max, Matt, would would Maxi and Tybal have been too much? Would you have traded Maxi and something else? Uh, you know, where where are you on that sort of <laughs> line of thought? I mean, well, Maxi, I really liked a great prospect, but I feel like you should sacrifice Maxi to get Kyle Lowry, given the state of the East right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's the scenario you're playing out, but let me let me ask you this question: Like, how much does the way that a player is playing at the point in time the trade deadline occurs factor into the value of the player? What do you think? I, I don't. That seems like a that seems like you've, you've asked like a very complicated question. That's actually quite simple. You're basically saying like how good the player is playing now. How much should that matter when trading for them? Yeah. Well, no. Or, or vice seems like it should what, matter, right? So what? Yeah. What makes you ask this question? Well, I mean, like, I'll give you an example. Like Tony Bradley, right? Like has had a great week 
uh, has oh. played a few very nice okay. games. He, he so became like, a piece that was, yeah, that, that you know, helped flip for, for, uh, for George Hill. Now, if I were to ask you the same thing about um, a guy like Matisse right now, who's been playing much better, though he has his off games, and he's still you know, somewhat of a savant on defense and can be kind of lost on offense. And obviously, I think Sixers fans in general would tell you Matisse was, was more off limits than probably any other piece that they were willing to trade. Um, I don't, I think with Maxi, I bring this up because, you know, they're the, the component that maybe would have gotten them hardened earlier in the year may have been Maxi, right? And he hasn't played nearly as well as he did after his like, you know, 35 or whatever the hell it was point outburst, um, earlier in the year. And he has looked much more like a rookie, a raw rookie with a lot of potential, but not necessarily at the threshold that you would say is a piece that gets you over, uh, over the hump this year right, or even right. in the next three to four years. So I guess what I'm asking though is, in we're asking you, I suppose here, and and you can you know go past that question, but is no, a no, I, I, is, yeah, is a poo poo platter question. of guys, yeah, but is a poo poo platter of players who are fine and meet the salary demands for for a trade to occur, but ultimately in the case of let's use the Slowery uh, to the Sixers potential theoretical trade or whatever, does does moving a Danny Green, a Thibel, and a Maxi is is that make them a net significantly better team because the goal here is to be better than and we could say the Nets and Bucks but I think it's also the Heat uh, and, and any prospective matchup that you have in the second okay. round of the East in, in well, general. Well, so the, this is why the the trade trades are I think more complicated and interesting to evaluate than looking at who won who lost these mm-hmm. trades. The answer is it depends. It depends on sort of how what you think your timeline is, but also what your timeline probably should be. What is your relative strength compared to the competition? Will you be stronger or weaker in the future relative to that? You know, that's why I kind of thought that this would be a dull deadline at first, because I thought that too many teams would just have no gauge of kind of where they were at. Instead, it looks like kind of teams took the opposite approach. I think the Magic's teardown influenced that. I look at the Sixers and I say, okay, why can't the Sixers win this title? Yeah, yeah. That's what that's, I mean. Mike, Mike says they're the favorites. I'm not. No, I don't think they're the favorites. I think I do not think they're the favorites. I don't think they're the East favorites. But if they play Brooklyn and everybody's healthy, that's going to be a tough matchup for Brooklyn. And their stars, their three best players, are right in the middle of their big prime year contracts or further along when Max Maxi, I mean, Tybal's a, an interesting case because I think Tybal was potentially very, his skill set is so unique that you would want to keep that around for the playoffs, you know, just because he's a nice guy to have. But to me, this is like kind of, this is for, for me, if I'm Philly, like this is an overpay moment. Denver, this is like a, you need an Aaron Gordon moment. And they made that trade. I, I do under I would understand if you're a Philly fan and you're thinking, you know, I, like I don't think Maxi, if that was the, the 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 price point, should have stopped you from getting Kyle Lowry. Yeah, like, there's no question that Kyle Lowry improved your team this year. That's almost fair. any any combination of trades. And so, really, what you're asking is, what is what do you think their window is? Are they going to have a better shot to win? with this core than they do right now. I don't think so. And so I would have gone for it, but I don't, we obviously don't yeah. know what the, what the, I'm, I, I have to say, I'm surprised you're not more disappointed. So yeah. let's put it that I, way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think the, the hardened trade situation, maybe 
help jade my perspective on getting my hopes too up for a specific trade. And look, I'll be honest. One of the things that makes this more difficult, you would love for there to be like some glaring holes with the team right now uh, that, you know, they just, and B goes down, they lose five of six and it's like everyone banging at the door for some kind of action. But unfortunately they're, they're gelling quite nicely and they, yeah. you know, the, even, even the bench, even the bench, which was suspect and probably still needed the upgrade of someone like George Hill, which I think was important. Um, you know, has been playing great lately. And so, you know, I think, I think there's definitely some way this, you know, myself, other fans of the Sixers, other people who follow this, this sport, but aren't a part of the front office of Philadelphia, uh, are looking at the last, you know, two to three weeks of time. But look, in terms of their best opportunity to win the title, I don't disagree. Uh, and I think a guy like Lowry makes a huge difference in a series where you're playing against uh, Kyrie Irving and, uh, and, right. and James, James Harden specifically. Um, I mean, or even it, a Drew it, Holiday and, and uh, yeah, uh, exactly. So and that, a Middleton and uh, yeah. you know Jimmy Butler and now a Victor Oladipo and uh, right. you know the two Jays in Boston and you know Zach Levine and Nick Vucevic in Chicago, the new dynasty there. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean yeah. right now, so, like 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 the the Seth Curry Danny Green starting backcourt, I think is a little is a vulnerable point in the playoffs in some ways. And it'd be less vulnerable if it was Kyle Lowry and one of those guys. Um, do you want to, yep. what do, what other folks want to talk about any other trades particular before? Cause you mentioned Harden and I was, I think we both should talk about the Rockets and their very sad deadline, but does anyone want to, anyone want to jump in? I'm going to give everybody, anyone a few minutes to jump in and talk about something else. Kind of, they want to put it in the chat, do a speaker request, any other trades you want to talk about? Uh, before we talk about Houston, going once, do 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 do. Something I'm like, okay, all right, but I, all let's, right. let's let's move on because uh, I want to. Oh, wanna... Josh wants to talk. Hold on, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, what's up? Hey guys, how's it going? What's hey, up? Josh. Well, uh, so I'm a Bulls fan, so All right. I'm, I'm feeling great. Uh, <laughs> you know, obviously I would have been feeling greater if we if we managed to pull off the Lonzo deal, but you can only make the trades that are there to be traded or there to be made, and it doesn't seem like New Orleans is particularly motivated to do that. Um, but Mike, in particular, I'd really like your thoughts on you know I, oh, there's been a lot of coverage on the Vukovic trade, and I'm, you know that's that's pretty well covered. But I'd love to get some more info on what we're getting in uh in troy brown jr and uh <laughs> and uh you know i, I just I keep, i'm looking at that trade and it's kind of a kind of a head scratcher to me for from washington's perspective uh, yeah i think it is <laughs> <laughs> well i mean troy brown wasn't playing they he, he and scott brooks i don't think he's the scott brooks's type of player so from the wizards perspective it's like hey we're gonna trade a guy that we're not gonna keep or play anyway mo wagner's a free agent let's get gafford who's got a really nice contract obviously the bulls don't really need gafford anymore so uh that trade i can see where the logic holds up but i don't know i, I think troy brown can do some things although troy brown's kind of like plays a little like Sadaransky and a little bit like garrett temple you've kind of got what i call the three amigos of my like kind of sneaky favorite former Wizards that, like, I kind of loved way more than most people on your team now. You've got all three of them. Uh, so, but it's it's a reasonable flyer to make, I think. I think there's some, there's a player in there. The, the challenge is that I think he, he got to build his confidence back up. 
you know, he's not a great shooter. I actually think it's nice that he's with Temple because you look at the type of player Temple has become. I think that's the goal for Troy Brown. I think that's totally reasonable to reach. Do you think he can he ball? I mean, I just haven't watched him play a lot. Can he can he play some combo guard and be a lead ball handler on a second unit? You think? Well, the Wizards fans have always wanted him to like actually get the chance to play more with the ball in his hands because he was a point guard in high school, played a lot on the ball in college. They sort of shuttled him where it's like you have to be this three and D wing or. They play the power forward for whatever reason. They, there's been this sort of frustration that he's never really gotten a chance to play on the ball. The only thing is that uh, I wish this guy had the ball in their hands is like the classic prospects. Lament. <laughs> you know, there's only one ball and not everyone gets to touch it. But I do think that the answer, there is a chance. I, I don't think he's, like, again, I think you're looking at if he becomes a player like Sadoransky or Garrett Temple, I think that's pretty good and a useful player to have, and I think that's totally reasonable. I don't know if I would expect him to be a starter-level player, but they don't really need that. you know. Right. Now, Chicago needs a point guard situation is kind of interesting. I, the the Lonzo, Lonzo thing never made much sense to me from New Orleans' perspective. I don't know why they were trying to trade him. I think he's a great fit for what they have. So I don't know if you should get your hopes up too much about that deal happening. So you now have got Zach Levine, who has a lot of ball handling responsibility, as he should. But you now in point guard, you've got Kobe White, who's had a rough year. You've got Sadoransky, Troy Brown, who kind of, again, the same sort of like kind of one and a half, two and a half type of player. Um, so there's definitely an opportunity there for him. I don't know. I, I so you're you're in on Orlando's uh, or Chicago's moves. Like, was there any concern that like we're cashing our chips in for for an upside that is not very high? You know, I think this franchise is to a point where I don't know that another. You know, it's 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 kind of a crossroads, right? It's either tear what, down what we've got and do go through another rebuild. Or push the chips in, and, and and I think the fan base, I I think would have revolted at another rebuild. I think there's there's part of that, and there's I think it was you, Mike, who said it on Twitter earlier, but it, it's totally true. There's something to be said for just building a team that's kind of fun. They don't have to be a championship team right now, and I don't think anyone's under that illusion. But it would be nice to have a team that we're not saying, well, best case scenario, we creep into that play in tournament, you know. And I'm not talking about this year so much, but more next year. It's I think there's there's some excitement to just feel like we're we're on a trajectory of a team that wants to win. And whether, you know, that pans out or not, at least we're making an aggressive move and you know, if you look at this team, I mean, our our track record obviously different front office, but our track record of draft picks just isn't great. So, right. is it, you know, and our and our track record of winning winning in the lottery save last year isn't great. So, you know, let, let's control what we can control. Vukovic is going to be, at least for the next two years in Chicago, is going to be a really good player to co- complement Zach. And I, I'm excited just just to have some basketball to be excited about. And they still have got some good pieces. I mean, Pat Williams now has played really well this year. He kind of now complements the defensive struggle of their two best scorers. Uh, talking about Sadoransky, they've got great play from Garrett, from Temple and Thad Young. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wonder the the uh, alternative thing they could have done was try to sell high on those veterans, um, but that was know. my fear. That was so you didn't want to do that. No, I mean Thad Young. I think for 
putting even aside what he's been, this is first of all, what a, what a season he's had all around. But I think his, I think a lot of times people overrate veteran leadership and that's just something people say, but I think it's been really tangible with him. And I think we've seen, you know, with Wendell Carter, you know, the effort he put in. And so beyond his play, I just feel like he's, if this team's going to build any kind of identity and structure, you know, guys like him are just so important to that. So I would have been really disappointed had the Bulls tried to flip him for something more amorphous, like a late, you know, for a protected first round draft pick. So I'm, you know, I'm really intrigued by what it could mean to have him. You know, I, I think he can, he can guard some fives in the end, you know, in the NBA still and, and take some of that off of Vukovic. Um, and so I'm just really intrigued by that, you know, that lineup. And they have Daniel Tice too, I think is, yeah. he isn't having as good a year as he did last year, but that was a bit of a, puzzling deal from Boston's perspective. I think they were trying to get under the luxury tax. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting team for sure. I think uh, the, the, there are two things that I think this trade conveys. And first of all, I think once you hire Billy Donovan and kind of, you're already signaling your intention to get serious and you do it in a way that is less obvious than Atlanta and less like sort of like we're doing it all at once and all these pieces we're going to throw out there. You know, you're doing it in a sort of a more uh, controlled way, which I think is effective. To me, this trade, the, their moves today single a couple things. One is that Zach Levine is like that good. And, that, you know, he's gotten better enough where it's like, you know, now we're in the process of we can't waste Zach's prime, so to speak. You know, he has separated himself as a level player. You know, I, I'm not sure he's quite at that point, but I think it's close enough where that, that logic makes sense. The other thing is that it's a real indictment on their, again, their, the previous regime's draft picks, where you look at Carter's, Wendell Carter's out in this deal. They're very clearly trying to shop Lori Markinen, you know, and just obviously didn't find a taker. White has lost his starting job. You know, they, they, this is very much their GM. Uh, whose name I can never pronounce, but um, I think he's quite very, quite shrewd and smart. Finally, putting his stamp on the team, and in a way that I think they still have, they've got a structure that makes sense, where you've got a really good uh, scorer on the perimeter, paired with a pretty versatile offensive center who you can play on the perimeter. He plays in the post. You can run him in pick and roll. You can space him and run that young in pick and roll. There's some flexibility there. The team's still a little incomplete because the point guard situation is kind of a question mark, and I just don't – I feel like it, they need to – they can't rely on that young playing at this level for a while. But, you know, they, they've now got a two-year window to spring from, and I don't think they gave up a ton to get there. A lot, I think, will depend on Pat Williams. Like, how good can he be? You know, they now need him to be quite good, I think. And Mike, we'll see Mike. if that – how yeah. many how many former how many former wizards does a team need to have for you to become a fan of that team? Uh just these three in particular. <laughs> okay. Just three. Okay. Those three Fair in particular, enough. I think, have got got me. These are like three of my favorite, like sort of I'm smarter than you because I like this guy more than you players. Got it. And I, I need to my ego to be fed. So <laughs> yeah, I don't Vucevic is a really good I think that defensively they're going to have some issues. I don't know how good they are. Like someone asked me on Twitter, are they going to win a playoff series in this incarnation? I don't know. I'd probably put it at like slightly less than 50%, but they're better now. Well, well, they're hold on, hold on, rel- hold on. Mike, a playoff, that would mean that they're going to be in what 
what position no, would you? Not this year. Like okay, okay, during okay. over the course of Vucevic, who has what two or three years left on his contract? Two, two years yeah. after this. Yeah. Two years. Yep. Okay. Okay. So in the next three years, are they going to win a playoff series? I don't know. It's probably like about 50, 50 maybe less than fifty percent. Mm-hmm. I think a lot depends on like how good is like Zach Levine. Is he? Bulls fans would tell you he's at the level of like a Bradley Beal already. You know, I don't know if he's quite there yet. I don't know. He's having a really good year. I've never been the biggest fan of his, but he's having a great year. And I, I do like Vucevic. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I just like that they – I think it's pretty clear that they couldn't just sort of dither around and rebuild for a while. I think Vucevic is a decent bridge player. You know, they're going to be pretty fun to watch. And it'll how good they'll be kind of depends on Pat Williams. You know, it's funny. It, this felt like the kind of – compressed into today felt kind of like you would expect in a normal offseason, that kind of turnover. Because this was – today they turned over 40% of the roster. It's completely new from when they stepped in. And in the offseason, they only brought in Gary Temple and, and Cotwell. Those were the two additions. So it almost felt like this is their – AK's first crack. And that's how you get out of having to say his name. You just – everyone just calls him AK. And, but, you know <laughs> – this felt like, okay, now we've settled in. We've been here for almost a year. Now is our opportunity to make our first real imprint on, on the roster in a way that they maybe just didn't have the opportunity to do in this weird off season. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, no, that's a yeah, the, the time, is, yeah. No, the timeline you were saying is sort of right. Also, you know, the, again, it's a good year too, because the, the playoffs are kind of, a little bit in flux. Um, I don't know. I mean, the other thing, I mean, the other factor is that, like, how many more years does Zach Levine have left on his deal? I mean, he didn't sign the biggest deal. And if he's leaped himself, leapt himself into that level of play where has he become, like, this sort of we need to build a legit team around you level player, then you kind of have to make a move like this, I think. So I like what Chicago did. Um Thank you, Josh. Uh, you, is there any, other, anything else that uh, that stuck out to you at this deadline that we haven't talked about yet? <laughs> you know, I, I'm just – oh, sorry, guys. No, go ahead. No, no, yeah, I, go ahead. I, you might have talked about it before before I jumped on. I'm just stunned that Kyle Lowry didn't get moved. <laughs> I thought for sure. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yep, uh, that's that's a theme for sure. <laughs> I mean, I, I think part of this is uh, that when that singular name has been kind of tossed around as like the jewel of the of the trade deadline, and then a number of other big pieces obviously move before that, and then it gets down to the wire, and everything's made for Twitter, right? This idea that it's like 15 minutes left, 10 minutes left, five minutes left, and every rumor is just getting heightened and heightened. And there's little deals being made so teams can open up a player and, and space and get under cap. And you're like, something's going to happen. Um, so I think it was just sort of like that that anticipation meets the end game of, of nothing. Um, you know, that, that happens at trade deadlines. But I was also yeah. shocked to see that. But it lived up to the hype. The whole day lived up to the hype. I would say. At least for me. <laughs> it it's easy for me to say that, I guess. But uh, it, was, it was a good day. So thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, man. And I'll, I'll put a bow on this and say I'm happy for Bulls fans. They've been through a lot. Uh, I know that this is uh, there are plenty of people from Chicago who who uh, were born after the um, the dynasty in the '90s, and it's been nothing but but crap for them. So um, I'm happy for for our friends like Ricky, uh, you know, O'Donnell, and 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 uh, you know, folks who I know who are diehard Bulls fans who thought they were going to lose Zach Levine this year, and instead they're building around him. So so quite the flip. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as far as Kyle Lowry is concerned, I'd, I'd be curious to 
I guess we did this on Tuesday, but like to your point about Twitter kind of making this sort of <laughs> seem more shocking than it is in real time, especially as Toronto kept traded two players to clear up roster space. So you're kind of thinking, oh, they're going to take on four players for Lowry's salary. That's clearly what this means. And then he stays. If you had a chance to sort of go back to before, you know, two days ago, before Twitter sort of exploded, I mean, you would still think that he should have been traded. Mm-hmm. You still think so? Okay. Yeah, 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 I, I do. And like, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm good friends with a few folks from Toronto who are, big basketball heads and they i think the tone and in that you know in the city itself and within the um the media that follows the team was that it was going to happen you saw kyle lowry last night you know kind of come to peace with the fact that that was probably his last raptors game sometimes that's how trades end up happening players know it's an inevitability and they end up getting moved um I'd say more rarely do you have situations like this where all of that feels like it's true and then the player doesn't end up getting moved. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's definitely a surprise. I think, you know, with Lowry, the challenge, of course, is that he's a franchise icon mm-hmm. and he will be a franchise icon whether you trade him or not. But and there was also the complication of, yeah, I think he wanted, he couldn't literally agree to a contract extension, but. I think you wanted some semblance of long-term security. You know, if you're the – again, we already talked about Maxi potentially holding up. You obviously don't know what the offers were. If you're the Lakers and Toronto's asked for Taylor Horton Tucker, is that enough to – and that you say no, is that – do you think that's the right decision? Yeah, so any team that has LeBron on it should be able to trade any other piece on their team with the exception of, in this case, Anthony Davis. That's the way I feel about the Lakers saying anybody on their roster was a price too high. I, and I know that might be an oversimplification. I feel like I'm channeling my, uh, you know, my inner Anthony uh, from our podcast last year where we talked about the NBA finals in a, in a preview. And, and he said, look, it's as simple sometimes as if the one team has the two best players, they win. And I look at this in a pretty similar sense. Um, I don't know if there's anyone else on the Lakers aside from AD who should even be remotely untouchable, um, especially, a, you know, essentially a relatively unproven wing, I, I guess you'd call he's kind of a versatile player, but it's not like he's had some kind of like uh, massive playoff moments in the past or is, uh, you know, coming off of a week of scoring in the 30s, you know, this is this is like a, a piece, not the yeah. piece. And it's not like Wendell Maxey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not, yeah, yeah I, mean, that, I think you're right. If, if that was a holdup, I probably would have pulled the trigger just because of timeline and everything. Although, I guess the question then, if you're the Lakers, is like, I mean, maybe LeBron is more seriously hurt than he's letting on. I know there's been some talk about – He's out four to six weeks, AD the same thing. But it does seem weird to be like, no, we're going to keep the young guy. We got LeBron James yeah. uh, when he missed a chance to get a Lowry. Uh, in general, I think that a lot of these tra- – one of the things I like about the trade deadline and one of the things that I hate how it's kind of turned into this evaluation, the way it's evaluated, is that mm-hmm. I think most of these trades – makes sense because the market it's not like you've got like one marketplace of value each team is kind of going for different things right Mm -hmm. and that's i mean that's why trades happen period right you kind of have to both teams have to believe they're getting something out of it that's relevant to where they see themselves and where their future is so without that you just don't have trades because if everybody's sort of on the same trajectory why would anyone trade with anyone 
Yeah, that's, right? that's called fa- that's called fantasy sports because everyone is too attached <laughs> to the players right. they've drafted, and then they think they've they've got the right team and yada yada yada. Yes, right. Yeah. So yeah. so because of that, I think there a lot of the trades that end up happening are kind of like okay, that makes sense for both teams. Like the Norm Powell for Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood trade. I kind of came out of left field, but you think about it a lot, and it's like, oh, actually, that makes total sense for both sides. Yeah, yeah, that, that was one of my favorite trades of the whole day. Is it's like, uh, oh, good, the the Trailblazers got another wing scorer. So you're not a fan <laughs> of that trade? No, I thought it was fine. I don't, I don't know if it moves the needle for them in, in, too much. Like, I think I think Norman Powell's a nice player. I think we were both a little shocked to see the age difference between the two. Yeah, um, which is a six year age difference. I did not realize that. <laughs> yeah. And Norman Powell's an interesting guy. Like he's kind of like he, he is capable of being that microwave off the bench. And he's he is better at uh, driving. He is a obviously an NBA champion, too. Um, so there's like a, a level of pedigree that you're bringing that Trent Jr. does not have. Um, but like Gary Trent Jr. is a pretty good scorer, too. And he's significantly younger. And the Raptors got a piece that might be able to blend with you know, Boucher and Siakam for the next iteration of the team that they're going to have uh, you right. know, three to five years from now. And so like, yeah, it, it's one of those trades that I guess makes sense for both teams, but I didn't see coming and, you know, <laughs> throwing in Rodney Hood. Sure. Um, does Probably it make Portland? Money, yeah. Yeah. It's like, does it make Portland much better? Like, I don't know, but they get Nurkic back next game and like that makes them better. <laughs> I think, it, so yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it makes them better. I mean, yeah, sure. I, I, you always run into the question of like, how much better does it matter? And does any of this matter? And then you're sort of, then I think to myself, like, okay, like then should anyone make a trade at all? Uh, <laughs> you know, but no, I think, I think there's a material difference between their games. I think they're both mm-hmm. pretty good, but Powell brings a downhill driving and finishing at the rim and push the pace game that Trent doesn't. Meanwhile, Trent is younger, probably going to cost less money, probably a better fit. I know Powell's having an amazing shooting year, but Trent's probably more of a threat there. Mm-hmm. So you can sign him for less and you can kind of bridge the errors. I don't know. That, that's, a, that's a trade that's just like, okay, that makes sense. Also, Lou Williams for Rajon Rondo. Clippers mm-hmm. fans aren't too happy about this one because Rondo has been pretty terrible this year and tends to not be good in, in the regular season. But, like, I, I'm a little confused by the – you know, frustration because you never get you never trade for Rajon Rondo because of what he does in the regular season. Yeah, that's why do the Clippers care about how he does in the regular season? And you know, Lou Williams has sort of become superfluous in blocking Luke Kennard, and I think Kennard should play more. And you and, know, and, and now and, he can. Yeah, and and man as well uh, has been playing well, Terrace Man. So right, yeah, like yeah, to to the point of progression by by removal you're going to get more from those guys you just mentioned. So I think that was definitely factoring into the Clippers. I mean, let's be honest here. Like what else is factoring in? Probably a a lack of trust for Reggie Jackson being your crunch time point guard uh, in a playoff series. Um, Right. Imagine that played into this. And then like, look, the other part is like Rondo plays scarcely right now. He's, he's missed a bunch of time. He doesn't play a whole lot of minutes. You're going to get a relatively fresh guy who knows how to conserve himself for the playoffs. We saw this last year. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's a trade that actually, and this is why I love Lou Williams and like as a as a basketball entity, I like I'm a huge Lou Williams supporter and fan and have been since the moment the Sixers tra- uh, selected him uh, out of high school. Um, 
but at the end of the day, like that, he wasn't going to be moving this particular Clippers team forward anymore. And ultimately, it's one less shot in crunch time or one less possession in crunch time that the Kawhi or PG was going to have the ball in their hands. Uh, and that matters, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it clearly doesn't solve the Clippers' biggest problems. <laughs> I mean, there's no question about that. Uh, meanwhile, Atlanta needs scoring, could use Lou Williams more than – they could use Rajon Rondo. So, okay, totally makes sense. I don't know. that That's like another one of those, okay, that makes sense. There is one exception at this trade deadline, though, I would say. So one team where it's like there is almost no way I can defend kind of where they're going. Go on. What they're doing. What they've done. Uh, talk, about, not, talk about it the doesn't ex- Let's talk about the Rockets. Oh, come on. I was trying to set it up. Yeah. The Houston Rockets, man. Sheesh. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's tough. Uh, it's tough when all the biggest trades in your franchise history happen in like four months. So they can all be kind of put into one bucket to see what you got, what you gave out, and what you got back. And yeah, Mike, um, I mean, t- talk me through what you were thinking when you saw uh, the Oladipo trade specifically. And then what you thought started thinking when you started looking at the totality of the moves they've made. So, I mean, the the first thing I would say is is, is that it's clear that just this franchise is not a good space. You know, they they have basically now traded James Harden for a bunch of pick swaps, mm-hmm. which may or may not work out. But one thing they definitely is is they traded James Harden for players they don't have to pay yet. <laughs> so, so, where are you going with this? Are you saying they have an owner who might not have the assets to be owning an NBA franchise? Yeah, it may have a cash flow problem. Um, <laughs> no question. You know, obviously they need to trade hard. So let's think about like kind of where the logic of the basketball logic of getting Oladipo, not the like sort of where he's cheaper. Oladipo instead of Karis Levert and Jared Allen, which they didn't get in the Harden deal. The thought was, I suppose, that one of two things would happen. One is that maybe Oladipo would play well enough to keep them in the hunt, and then you could re-sign him and sort of do a rebuild on the fly. And if he didn't, he would play well enough to get traded again. Well, he didn't do either of those things. <laughs> and so now you're stuck. There, There's reporting that indicates that there, this was basically like kind of the Rockets' worst possible offer that they were going to have to come back to if they couldn't get anything better for Oladipo. Now you're and now this trade happens. So you've gotten you've now traded your crown jewel player in the Harden deal for like a bunch of expiring contracts and a totally useless, hilarious pick swap in 2022. It's like, yeah, if we're better than the Miami Heat in two years with our setup, like we're gonna trade this, we're gonna swap picks. Like that's just totally useless. <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. <laughs> you know, I'm just kind of curious how the uh, negotiations for that that all went. Um, so you just totally minimized the potential asset there for sure. And you, I mean, what exactly, unless these picks are just so amazing, you know, how is it possible that you create a better basketball situation from where you're at? You know, that just doesn't make any sense to me. And they had an opportunity to do something totally different. You know, Hey, why not? If, uh, if all depots trade value, sunk this so like maybe Karis LeVert could have had more trade value if he didn't want to keep him so you know even with his uh you know very serious health diagnosis so it just 
it's just what they've done is so short-sighted. What they've ended up with is just such a bare cupboard. And I just, I know that like kind of, they didn't intend to lose 20 in a row and that maybe threw them off a little bit. Uh, but I just, it's just such poor maximization of what they had. And, you know, you're really, your only hope for Houston now in the long term is that you have like a process like situation. And that's, where I want to talk to you about mm-hmm. as a veteran of the process. Yes. And as a veteran, as a, as someone who is still frustrated <laughs> about the NBA kind of in your mind, cutting it short. Yeah. Yep. How does the rocket situation make you feel? Yeah. So yeah, it's really hard to marry the way that the, the process uh, and, and Sam Hinkie's tenure in Philadelphia was, finished i'm not going to say cut short because um it, it, that goes without saying it was mid it was in the middle you know quite quite literally he was doing the things that he wanted to do which he had said he was going to do and sought out to do and then at some switch went off we're having a to your point we talked about earlier uh, off of this but you know a major market tanking is a lot different than oklahoma city although i would think yeah. houston is big enough market well, that's- that's why I was yeah. I was bringing up Houston, right? Yeah. So I guess I guess I mean this conversation when we were having started with Oklahoma City, where mm-hmm. we saw a tweet I think from Bobby <laughs> Marks that said the Thunder have thirty four draft picks over the next seven years. I think yeah, seven, something like this. And seven, seventeen and seventeen. Yeah. Yeah, and then it, it, I we then ended up talking about Houston and what they're doing because the logic for all the concern about what Philadelphia was doing, all this like sort of existential, Oh God, this is really bad for the league is this is ultimately bad for business Mm -hmm. to have a team that is playing so much for the long haul is kind of cutting so cheap on the margins, you know, saving so much money, trading players for assets and just being totally non-competitive in the short term and basically just punting that in order to kind of just this race to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Right. That was like something that was a huge concern for the league, a big enough concern that they changed the lottery rules, a big <laughs> enough concern that people were complaining about it, that they may or may not probably did like sort of try to get in people, uh, their people to have speed it up. So that happens now about five or six years ago or whatever it was. And there was all this ink spilled about this and this being bad for the league. You know, now Houston Instead of, you know, whatever you want to say about their, like, chances of improving their title odds in 2032, you know, (laughs) with the trades they make, they have clearly made trades that don't make sense from feel in terms of feeling a viable competitive basketball team in that market, right? Financials have definitely motivated their trades, and they're 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 claim to the value they get for one of the best players in the league. Who and I get that he asked out to be traded, but like still someone who like could have fetched a huge haul. After all that, they basically are saying, "Well, we're we're counting on draft picks for a long haul, and we're not intending to be competitive. We're not going to bring in players that we have to pay past this year." You want you the question. And given, of course, their owners' financial issues, you're probably wondering to yourself, like, wait, how is this any different? Why is the league not upset about this? It, and it's it's worse. The Sixers didn't have James Harden when they decided to set out trading every asset they had to accumulate, or everything they had on uh, from a roster standpoint to accumulate assets. 
you know, the Sixers teardown was of a middling team. They, they didn't take down a team that now, was competing to win the Western Conference. Right. Now, the flip uh, side you know, would be that James Harden asked out. So in, sure. it's not like there was – like, the, here's a scenario that I posed to you that maybe maybe I wonder if this would have been felt differently what Philly did. Let's say that Andrew Bynum stays healthy and leads them to, like, 48 wins. Basically, the season that the Thunder had last year with Chris Paul and all that. And then they say, well, we're going to tear it down. It's not like Andrew Bynum – has asked out. We are going to proactively trade Andrew Bynum. Mm-hmm. Or I guess I guess the analogy would be like, what if Andrew Bynum then did ask out? Yeah, and would uh, a, yeah, would the sort of sympathy or rep for what Philly was doing have been different if it seemed like they were forced into it? Yeah. So the answer would be externally more people would have probably felt bad for the Sixers organization and allowed for them to continue to move forward with their, with their objective. The, the problem here, Mike, is that Sam Hinkie was very open. The Sixers organization from the ownership down embraced this idea uh, of what they were doing. And it wasn't like there was some kind of piecemeal component to it. It was an overarching objective that they made through a number of moves, but that never deviated. What what the Rockets have done is individual horrible moves that mean nothing to each other. They're all like non sequiturs that all add up to being an awful basketball team with a head coach who they essentially brought in to be sacrificial, which is awful. And on top of that, you know, they're putting out a product. You lose 20 games in a row, you're doing something wrong. That Sixers team didn't lose 20 games in a row. Not that I remember, at least. I'm pretty <laughs> sure they did. Didn't they start the year like 18 losses in a row? Yeah, that's not 20. And that team was one of the worst. <laughs> oh, it's not 20. So and, dude, and that's okay. one of the worst teams in NBA history. And even then, they found pieces that were going to be a part of the team eventually. Like your TJ McConnell's of the world. Um, they had guys on their, on that roster like Robert Covington. Like they were using it to actually figure stuff out. The Rockets went and spent some money on Christian Wood. They went and made a trade uh, to flip or swap, I guess, whatever you'd want to say, with John Wall and, and Russell Westbrook. Um, they made moves in order to be, I think, a, some type of a competitive basketball team, only to then decide they didn't want to be competitive, all the while amassing what amounts to not that many desirable assets. Like congratulations well, to them on getting a pick swap with the freaking Miami Heat, one of the franchises <laughs> that is always going to be in the playoffs. Yeah, that that was a funny one. <laughs> but I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that their assets have no value. It's just that they have their value is entirely future and theoretical, just like that's the right, Sixers stuff. That's right. And and one way to use those assets is to make trades. One way to not be a good trade ta- uh, target for any specific or, or, or use those assets, I should say, to build a roster that a free agent would want to come to as well. But when you have an owner that's showing that he can't do the job, uh, that shows no dedication to building a championship team, you're not going to attract free agents that way. And ultimately, you know, very few players are going to feel great about getting traded to a team like that. I, and that's, you know, it's, it's weird to say it, but like what the Rockets are doing right now, I am – always going to be okay with i know this is a big you know circle or 180 here i'm okay yeah, with i was it gonna say whoa whoa, whoa i'm okay what? with it because the sixers should be should have been it should have been okay for them to, to do it it should be okay yeah, but that's for, what i'm saying but that's what i'm saying <laughs> yeah, yeah but i'm saying i'm saying it should be it's okay to do it you just have to be okay okay with the repercussions and in the sixers case there was an end game and in the rockets case i don't see one i don't know what the end game is well, there, there is no Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons being drafted by the Rockets. Uh, not yet. I guess you could argue that maybe there will be. 
in 2025. He's going to say three, four years from now, maybe. Yeah. So I guess, I think, I guess I think we'll the, have to see. Yeah, I think there's a difference between Houston and Oklahoma City uh, where this whole conversation started, where it's like they tore down a team that did pretty well, and they've just kept getting these – zillions of draft picks. I mean, they, what are they going to do with 34 draft picks? I mean, really? Like, yeah. at some point, the, the difference is Oklahoma City is Oklahoma City, market-wise. Mm-hmm. And Houston is a little bit, is Houston is closer to Philly in market size and market power. Especially when you consider Houston's uh, impact on China, the Chinese market. Yes, yes. Uh, which you know, I guess that's a whole other can of worms given what has happened in the last 24 year, 24 months. But mm-hmm. it seems to me, I mean, they, ultimately the reason that the Sixers generate so much frustration is this fear that that was, it was bad for business to have one team not being competitive. It was ultimately costing the league a lot of money, especially a team in the Philadelphia market where you know, that affected everybody in an indirect way for Philadelphia to basically pun on trying to be somewhat competitive and to be, again, to your point, very open about it. It wasn't like they were keeping up the rules. We talk about all the time how stupid it is that teams have to try to win or like kind of lie, essentially. But that's kind of what the engine, the engine that keeps the whole league moving. What I think is so Oklahoma City, I think, is different because Oklahoma City's in a small market. I agree that there's a little bit too much praise for, oh my God, they have a zillion draft picks. But I think in general, it's okay for Oklahoma City to take this approach because they had two stars who asked out, really three, going back to KD. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're in a small market. Now, if they were in the Seattle market, that would be very interesting to see how how all of this would, would be shaking down where the what eighth largest media market in the country, you know, is just sort of pr- purposely not putting out a competitive product. Houston, though, is different because Houston, the league, like, approved Tillman Fertitta despite some pretty clear potential financial issues in terms of how much liquidity he had. Those got a lot worse in the pandemic. So if your concern is like sort of the the money of the entire league and you've got an owner who's stripping his basketball team bare in order to really you know make ends meet, I think that is a potential problem. I don't know what the league can really do about it, but that's something that I think you gotta keep an eye on. And you know, their actions at the to not take on Lavert and Jared Allen, like again, you can make a basketball <laughs> case that it's better for them, but you certainly can't make a case that this is good for the bottom line of the league. So I, I, I just I, I think that there's like some justification if you're a Sixers fan and you're like, wait, what about them? Like, why is this sort of like allowed? I, I think there's some justification to be mad about that. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, think so. I, yeah, that's fair. I, I, I'm. I'm on board with that i'm also at the same time like i i think if your teardown is to eventually build up and you're showing that that's the goal it, it makes it way harder when you when this is all valued in in a, you know future picks the idea though that and we've been over this before but that three teams now control essentially 
more than a third of the draft, a third of the draft picks moving forward. From Add Orlando to that list now. Sure, and Orlando <laughs> is like, so like four teams, but like, but then then it's like there's diminishing returns on the value of being the team that has all the assets because then three other teams could be competitive in making trades for picks or so you're know, saying part of mm-hmm. uh huh. So you're saying yeah. you're so strategically this isn't even doesn't even make sense as much. I'm saying strategically it makes more sense when you're the only one doing it, not right. One of exactly. Four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah, and you say strategically right. in a basketball sense because if this is the Rockets are doing a great job of strategically saving Tillman Fertitta's money money with this, mm-hmm. you know. So in that, <laughs> I guess it depends where you talk about strategy. Alec wants to speak, so Alec, what's yep. up, guys? Yo, can you hear me? What, yeah. What's up, Alec? Hey, thanks for having me on. So um, I was really surprised by, like, the inactivity from, I think, the top, top teams in the league. I just kind of, I guess I expected more of a move from the, I guess the Clippers made a move, but the Lakers and the Sixers and, like, the Bucks and maybe even the Nets. Like, I thought maybe Lowry would get moved. And What do you, what do you guys think happened there? Yeah, I mean, yeah like, uh, I'd say for a few of those teams, Alec, you mentioned the Bucks and the Nets. Both are teams that have made significant moves for the course of the last, you know, over the last three, four months. And then on top of that, the Nets are already positioned to basically get their pick of the litter for the buyout. So, in you know, that matters, I think, in, in being overly active on a day like today. Um, I, I tell you that the buyout options are another, the Bucks are another team who's always done pretty well with the buyouts. Like they'll find mm-hmm. their Ilyasova for this season, um, who ironically has been bought out or back in the league and now playing for the Jazz. But yeah. Um, you know, so I think there's players that those two teams probably identified that were options that weren't necessarily trade, you know, uh, right. prospects. And by the the other thing too is Milwaukee made their move; they got PJ Tucker. Yeah, they got PJ Tucker yeah. like last week. And and I mean, in, in Milwaukee, and I think you're right. In the Lakers, I mean, we talked a bit about Lowry earlier, and like how we both would have traded Taylor and Horton Tucker to get Lowry, and. That if that was the holdup, I think that was a mistake. But the Lakers and Nets are both going to, like Ben said, be at the top of the buyout market. And the Clippers and Bucks just have no picks to trade, no lubricants to make a deal any bigger than what they've done. You know, they traded all their picks. So that's the other thing that we talked about where it's like if you don't have first-round picks, it's kind of hard to kind of to really get a difference maker outside of kind of making the small trades that you made. Yeah. Um that's, I think, what explains that. I mean, you also, again, like, like you have to think a little bit about the trade deadline in a lot of ways is sort of, in some ways, it's its own fixed moment in time. This is like sort of when teams do things at this point and that it conveys their intentions. But for a lot of teams, it's either the start, the, the second part of a longer cycle that started in the offseason or the first part of a potential new cycle that's about to start in the next offseason. We talked about that with Indiana last podcast where we we both thought that a lot of the noise about Indiana was just sort of laying the groundwork for what happens this summer with that team, and they didn't end up making any moves, and I think that's probably what that was. Milwaukee now is in phase two because they made their big move for Drew Holiday. That was kind of – and Brooklyn as well is kind of in phase two. They made their big move, obviously. So what happens at the deadline is kind of the end phase, end of one phase. So if you think about Milwaukee's intentions as a contender, because they were obviously in this position as a top contender at the end of last season too. You know, nothing has really changed about their general status in the league. They have already made – step one for them in terms of making a move that was like legit was trading for Drew Holiday. 
and Bogdan Bogdanovich, but that's a whole separate conversation. Um, the Tucker thing is just like kind of one last cherry on the Sunday. So they're already kind of, they've already kind of conveyed their moves. So some of the bigger moves that happened today were from teams that hadn't really achieved step one, Denver getting Gordon. That was like kind of their first move of intent, Chicago with the moves they made. Uh, yeah. So in Portland getting Powell. Yeah, and to that point, Mike, I think some of the the most active teams today were the exact teams that went into this year with a coin flip. Are we going to be competitive? Are we going to be sellers? Are we going to be buyers? Is this a year we should make a run to build on what we have, or should we be trying to figure out what our cap space will be in two years? And and that's why you have teams like you know, for the Bulls are a great example, and we talked about them a little bit uh, already. But you know, that's why you see teams like the Bulls in Orlando making moves like this. Why Toronto, who still was active today despite not moving Lowry, um, you know, made the moves that they did. And so I think like. This weird offseason, the the abbreviated schedule, um, you know, figuring out just what you have in both the short term and what makes sense long term. You know, a lot of teams went into this year not necessarily knowing uh, which path they were on. And I think that's where I think you saw some of the decisions today fall. Yeah, yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. I think I think what you're saying about the uh, the high end teams, they, they either made their moves or didn't have a move to make, really. But what you guys kind of said afterwards um, about the teams at the crossroads, like the coin flip teams, kind of leads me to my second question, which is, do you think any of these teams, like these crossroad teams, made moves enough, made moves that like bring them to the next tier? Uh, it's it's interesting. I think the, the concept of tiers is an interesting one this year because it's also jumbled together um, for sure. I, I think Denver made a big statement of intent. I think they got a lot better. Are they – where are they tier wise? I mean, the West is now a lot more wide open. I think you have to talk about them as a potential threat there. So I really, I thought Denver certainly made a tier upgrade of intent. Chicago, maybe not this year, but sort of they made a big tier upgrade of intent. Um, outside of that, I'm not sure anyone did. I think a lot of these moves were kind of let's get a little bit better uh, around the edges, you know. Portland again, slightly better fits. Um, so I'm not sure that really changes their upward trajectory. But to answer your question, I would say, I mean, Brooklyn obviously made the biggest jump from getting James Harden. Again, if you consider trade season like one entity. After that, I think the team that has helped themselves the most is Denver. I just think that Aaron Gordon is that good a fit for them. Um, so a couple, but you know, to your general point, like usually there's all this activity at the deadline, and like usually these deals are not as important as they seem on the day of the trade deadline. Yep. Generally. Um, no. Yeah, I agree. Generally, that's, that's I, asking, just to make sure yeah, true. just to make sure we're uh, following the trend. I think it's true in this. I mean, if you think about it, um, just taking a step back, uh, if you don't count the James Harden, if you count the James Harden trade, let's say. You had one superstar traded this year, one all-star traded this year, and one former all-star who was on the brink of being traded, it wasn't. I guess yeah, there's Oladipo too, but in general, like you're talking what about like two all-star caliber players switching teams? Yeah, yeah, that's right. All-star yeah. caliber is such a qualifier yeah, too. I think Gordon right. is kind of all-star caliber. And Vucevic, Vucevic is an all-star. That's, That's what I'm saying. He, he's the second. He's the yes. second. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't think of Gordon as an all-star caliber player either, by the way. I think he might have all-star caliber athleticism and potential, but like he has in no way, shape, or form in his career lived up to being an all-star. Um, he's been a part of some terrible, you know, not terrible, some middling teams. Uh, the idea that Vucevic and Gordon together with other pieces that don't stink. Like I, I can't, I love that Terrence Ross is still the guy in Orlando. Oh, yeah. Like, like he's still so there. <laughs> big winner on twitter though yeah, see don't, I, don't feel don't feel bad for him he's gonna for, thoroughly enjoy taking 30 shots a game <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> he's gonna he's gonna this is gonna be really good for his future earning power um for sure <laughs> right. yeah uh yeah i mean i would say okay so you've got one no-brainer all-star and you've got a couple guys that are kind of on the borderline like it, it seems like it's a pretty typical trade season yeah. and it's not to say that these moves are going to be totally useless, but I do think that there is – I do think we in general, the activity of the deadline itself as an event overrates the degree to which these trades matter in the end, mm-hmm. most likely. Just the deadline stuff. I mean – Yeah. That's probably true. I hate true. That you're right. I hate it, but you're right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wish you were wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I have – what – yeah, of course. Uh, oh, ben, yeah, let, sorry. sorry yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. I was sorry. I, oh, good. Alec, Alec thank you for uh, for your question, man. We appreciate of it. Of course. Yeah. Appreciate it. Hey, Ben, um, ben yeah. should we talk? Should we do some Should we end this on some sort of Danny Age Celtics? Uh, you get to tee <laughs> off on them uh, a little bit as a Sixers <laughs> fan. I want to know. I want you to sort of throw your biggest Danny Age haterade out. <laughs> Look, there are a lot of uh, a lot of people suggesting Ainge was going to make a big move, and and uh, and that's because Danny Ainge uh, is the person who's suggesting that. Um, and so that's <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's fine, you know, and that's fine. We, uh, I'll say this: I don't, I don't think with the Celtics, uh, they took your guy Mo Wagner, who is going to be the most beloved Celtic uh, I can remember since. Um, Greg Brian Scal- since Brian Scalabrini, yeah, Greg <laughs> um, how many how many shots can you take at the Celtics? They the Celtics are in a weird position where like they're probably not they're probably not as good as they they were going into this particular season, and that's a weird thing to say. But they also like desperately needed to get rid of like Jeff Teague, so they, I think there might be some addition. Why did they desperately need to get rid of Jeff Teague by subtraction? Well, I don't think Jeff Teague was a particularly good fit. They'd have been better off keeping Brad Wanamaker probably in the offseason. And I they think they got Brad Wanamaker, that's for sure. Yeah, they could have gotten him back. That's right. He he just moved today as well. Um, where, where did he where did he end up? He, is he on the Wizards? Charlotte. 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 So I mean, look, when you look at all the moves, and again, we talk about things in like one one uh, deadline, one year, and then like kind of removing yourself and looking at the the totality of the moves that have been made, like. They could still have Terry Rozier and and Gordon Hayward um, to complement, you know, an emerging uh, Brown and and, and Tatum. I I do believe firmly that Tatum is still feeling the effects of COVID. One thousand percent, he's admitted it. Yeah, and you could just see it. I mean, it's 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 sad. So you know, I, I think there's a world where if Ainge makes some different moves, they're a much, much better team with just the assets they would have already had in place. Um, and so look, they couldn't move Tristan Thompson. That was kind of funny to see. Um, mostly because like he stinks and I don't know why they signed him in the first place. Um, 
but yeah, like I'm not going to, I can't sit here on a high horse. The Sixers didn't make any earth shattering moves today, but now come on, mm, high horse it up, man. Yeah. Your but team's actually, like, be- actually good this year. They, know, got a, they got a chance yeah. to high horse you up last year. Now you got to return the favor. <laughs> come on. Yeah, no, it, it is just funny. Every year the Celtics put themselves in prime positions to be going for one of the two biggest targets at the trade deadline. Uh, and, and then they don't. And, you know, for whatever reason, I, again, Danny Ainge, can be, uh, I think he was lauded for some of the early trades he made in his GM tenure, and he deserves as much of, uh, you know, the discredit or, or the, the knocks that he gets right now for, for the pump fakes he's made. And you could argue that missing out on some of the, the trade bait in the pre, in, before the season started, um, like Turner, um, you know, those were the moves that ended up putting them in a situation where things couldn't really do anything right now. Uh, with some dead weight, some bad contracts. They moved, what, four players today, I want to say, to they get back a, under the cap because yeah, Jalen had, Brown made the all-star game and they had to, they had to fill that out. Yeah, that was uh, – <laughs> yeah, they, they, so the sequence of – independent of everything you just said because I think it's all – again, like who, how close are they to these deals? You never really know, yeah, like who's yeah. hyping that up, who's not, you know – Foundationally, they'd still have two really good, great young play, young wings under 25. Like, it's probably a good, okay, in the long run. But so today, they trade for Evan Fournier in that giant trade exception that Celtics fans have been talking about nonstop for about six months, right, that they, <laughs> they get for here. They trade for Evan Fournier for – it was like kind of – again, he's going to help them now, right? That's a clear sign of we want to be winning now. Mm-hmm. Right, you yeah. do that. You don't give up very much, so value wise, a pretty good trade. And then to save money, you trade your starting setter. Yeah, it's yeah. a little it's weird. Just, like I get that who's, who's been down a little bit, but is still a good player. Like Tice was an important piece of their team last year that you know that made their run. Uh, yeah, it's now you're even more reliant on on Tristan Thompson. Is that? Uh, I guess. Say? I guess I could. Uh, I mean, I think they're trying to clear minutes for Robert Williams. So maybe yeah. <laughs> uh, brief me on the Celtics real quick. I've been at work. Braden says, yeah, so basically, <laughs> so the Celtics, I believe, traded Je- – they got um, Evan Fournier from Orlando for Jeff Teague and two second-round picks. And then in a three-team deal with the Wizards and Bulls, they traded Daniel Tice to Chicago and got back Mo Wagner from – the Wizards, uh, and that move got them under the luxury tax, which is important because they're slated to potentially be a repeater paying team in the future, given the big contracts to Tatum, Brown, and Kemba. So, I it's just, I get that they need to, maybe if they needed to get under the tax, why not just like attach a second round pick to, for one of their like kind of 700 rookies that don't play and send them to, I don't know, Sacramento instead of them getting Terrence Davis. Like is why trade Daniel Tice? Like he's actually, if you want to try to win now, which it seems like you wanted to do in getting Evan Fortney, why would you trade Daniel Tice then for future yeah. value? Bizarre. The sequencing is a little strange there, let's just say, independent of everything else. Like, I just don't – I don't really understand why. It seems like they didn't really pick a direction one way or the other. Uh, You know, if they don't get Aaron Gordon, like, okay, we kind of said, like, maybe that's not a great fit. But they kind of – they they did, like, six of one and a half dozen of the other, and you're sort of left in the same spot 
the same general situation, except now you get now you save your owner a little bit of money. Hooray! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Yeah. That's my favorite trade at the deadline when owners get to save uh, a little yeah. bit of money. I was a little disappointed there weren't as many of those trades this year. I, I don't know what was up with uh, with some of these. Own- I, th- I would have thought there'd be a lot of these financial moves because of the pandemic, but now you really only had a couple of those like kind of trade for cash moves. Uh, Braden wants to talk. Hey, Braden. Yeah, I just have one word. Yeah, okay. That sounds like more than one word. I mean, I see, I like Tice. Also more than one word. I like him. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just messing with you. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just just really like Tice. I, I went to two games before COVID, you know, and he just seems like such an explosive player. I know he like he he converted over on some of the wings sometimes and missed out on, you know, he's a great, I feel like he's an underrated shot blocker. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I guess Ainge and Brad just want to maybe depend on Tristan and Robert Williams a little bit more. I don't, I don't know what the answer is to that. Money, 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 money. They're yeah. saving in under the luxury checks. I mean, I think the the actual basketball answer is I think more get some time for Robert Williams. Yeah, you know? they were all complaining, and, and then I know that there's going to be a bunch of. I'm a Celtics fan, and I'm not entirely mad about this, but I know there's going to be a bunch of Celtics fans who are begging for minutes for Robert Williams, and then they're going to be like, "Well, why we trade Tice?" I was like, "Well, we're getting minutes for Robert Williams." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I guess this does lay bare how bad that Tristan Thompson signing was in a lot of ways. Right. There's actually a really good did, – Ben, did you read this story by our friend Chris Herring? It wasn't about Tristan Thompson, but I thought about Tristan Thompson when I read it. Uh, he put out to, basically, it was, the subject was under Drummond, and it's like this is the best rebounder in the league, and nobody wants him. Like is this – is rebounding, individual rebounding, something that really matters anymore? And there's all sorts of really interesting stuff in there about, you know, nobody's going for offensive rebounds in the same way. Everybody's dropping back. Everybody's shooting threes. So, like, kind of the guy who can tower above four or five other players who are grabbing the rebound, you know, that guy's that there's no players to tower over anymore. And this is something I've been, like, kind of beating the drum about for a long time. And yet the Celtics, who are generally a pretty smart organization – you would think they'd know that, and yet they signed Tristan Thompson, whose value is rebounding. I thought yeah. that they gave them a whole new level. It's, it seems like they were a little behind the times on that one, and they're now paying for it. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, also, like this, again, the Celtics are in a place where the. I think when you when you fly really close to the sun and you're almost there, you, you can see yes, here the we go. aspirations. Go get him. Go get him. Well, I'm just saying, like, I think it makes it harder to keep climbing that, that mountain. And I think last year was probably, you know, the way things were falling, the way that, again, the Eastern Conference was extremely open and the bubble playing, like, was may have been their best chance with this core team. And I know that's weird because two of their best players are super young, but the rest of their team isn't. And, you know, Kemba's knees are always a question mark. And then on top of that, you know, Marcus Smart's a guy who right now, like, I think is sort of trying to figure out what his best skill set is for this particular team. He's had the complementary aspects of his game to make other Celtics teams in years past better, where he can kind of be their all, you know, all in glue guy. 
Um, but I'm, I'm not sure that Marcus Smart right now makes Kemba, Jalen Brown, and and Tatum better. And I know that mm-hmm. that's a weird thing to say for a guy who really is one of the best role players you know, in the league. But that's what it looks like. There's also fatigue of teammates. I, I you know I know I don't you, know if I you, totally you, buy that, but I see what uh, you're. Fatigue, I, I see it's possible. Yeah, I just think you know they've they've had a core group now for what three four years that is very good without being great. And that mm. I think can kind of come up against a wall. Uh, Mike, yeah. I got to go. Keep up the good yeah, work I, here on this. I love. And, uh, I love. Uh, yeah, I love. By the way, I was trying to think of a Danny Ainge Icarus pun for about two <laughs> minutes. I couldn't figure yes, it out. Yes. Day Day Ainge. Yes, yeah, too, too close <laughs> to the to the Phoenix Suns. Um, yes, <laughs> I, I was going to wrap yeah. it up, uh, Ben. Thank you. I was going to wrap yes. it up unless anyone had anything else they wanted to talk about. Do you think that Evan Fournier, I mean, do you think Evan Fournier will turn out better than like a Harrison Barnes? Because I know the Celtics were looking at Harrison Barnes too. I think, I think he doesn't, I don't know. I don't think so, but the price difference will probably make it worth it. I mean, like it sounds like uh, Barnes, the price tag was quite high and they didn't get much. They didn't need to trade much to get Evan Fournier, but you know, I'm not sure. That's the player you necessarily need, but it's better than having Jeff Teague in two second round picks. So exactly, may as well. Yeah. And I think, I think it's easier. I think getting Evan Fournier was about the easiest thing we could do without pick without giving away Marcus Smart or somebody like that. Because most of those, I mean, Aaron Gordon, all these other people that we wanted to get, they wanted a Smart or a Jalen Brown with two for, with a first and two for seconds or something like that. So yeah, I think that was the best way to get around that. Because I mean, Evan Fournier is shooting pretty well. I saw his his averages. I mean, I know he hit he's a game. He's a good win. player. I've always liked him. I just I just don't know if um, that team needs another perimeter shot creator in exactly, that way. I feel I like they that, need. Yeah, go ahead. I think that the thing that kind of hurts us is Jalen and Jason play the exact same. So if one's off and the other's off, we're done. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, if you look at the lineups now, like, so is Marcus Smart now your four, basically? I mean, yeah, because I, I guess it's sort of, I think ideally they would have another forward, but, you know, again, it's hard to it's hard to find that when, I mean, Harrison Barnes would have been terrific for them, don't get me wrong, it's, but oh, yeah. it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have traded Marcus Smart. So, but it, that's the thing that you've sort of caught, you've trapped yourself into based on where you brought your team to, you know. Right. So that's the problem. Um, we've, we've been hating on the Celtics a lot and watch them go on a big run. Yeah, I hope so. And Mike Pina said on Twitter today, I didn't realize this, they have the best offense in the league since uh, March 1st. So obviously they need another uh, offensive guy on the perimeter to help them with their best offense in the league. Yeah, and then I feel like, I mean, even last night with – with Milwaukee, I mean, we were down like 25 points or something like that. Came in within two or three. So, I mean, we show offensive strength, but I don't know. What, I, I personally don't know what happened. Yeah, it would be. I mean, look, I think they're looking at the playing game now, but we will see. Uh, Braden, thank you. Anything else you wanted to talk about that's not about the Celtics? That's, that's about it, man. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Braden. Does anyone else, if anyone else wants to talk about anything else, let me know. I'll give you 30 seconds. Otherwise, I think we're going to wrap this up, this trade deadline show. Again, 
sorry about the last one not going on the feed. There were some technical issues on the locker room back end. We're going to put this one on a limited upside feed. Uh, anybody got anything? Going once, going twice. All right. Thank you very much, everyone. This has been the Limited Upside Locker Room Chat. Uh, we will be back next Tuesday. Take care. Bye.